0: Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein.
1: Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. I am delighted to be joined by Tim Kelton, co founder of Descartes Labs and head of SRE, security, and cloud operations. Welcome, Tim.
0: Hi, Allison. Great to be with you.
1: So this is the first time that Descartes Labs has been on ChipChat. Can you just give a background on the company and how it came into existence and what types of services you're offering?
0: Yes, we're maybe a little less traditional than most Silicon Valley VC-backed startups. Myself and the rest of the founding team, we were scientists, researchers, and engineers up at one of the Department of Energy's uh, national laboratories. That was Los Alamos National Laboratory. So there we had backgrounds in a lot of different things like high performance supercomputing, astrophysics and cosmology, and then things like Earth observation and remote sensing of the Earth. And we had worked on a research project for about six years as part of a bigger team. And that was focused on deep learning and machine learning and looking at how we could apply that to all different types of problems in the government space. And so in late 2014, we started Descartes Labs and then our focus is basically on building machine learning models at a really big geographic or temporal scale. And then trying to deliver insights to various customers on, you know, how changes are happening on the earth and how that might impact their business, their business verticals, maybe even their competitors or those types of landscapes.
1: You are delivering a kind of application that really wasn't able to be tapped before. Why is satellite data becoming so important to businesses? And can you talk about the different types of industries that are benefiting from this data? In
0: some ways, it's very similar to... You know, all around us, we're seeing more and more sensors being able to measure more and more things, whether that's my heart rate or something like that, or going out on a bike ride or having a computer there. But we're kind of starting to measure changes happening on the Earth with Earth observation sensors. And those can be all different types of what we'd call modalities. And you could have like a passive sensor, which is almost like taking photos of the Earth. That's what most people think of with satellite or aerial sensors. But they can also be very active sensors where a satellite emits a radar signal down to the Earth. And then the satellite captures it, measuring things like almost like a global height measurement. Uh, And then you're starting to be able to measure other types of, of things like radio frequencies and changes there. So it's gone beyond just like the normal human visible spectrums of light to maybe things like vegetative health with infrared or bodies of water or how buildings are being built, all different types of infrastructure like that. So the amount of sensor data that's just being gathered all over the globe uh, especially with remote observations is just dramatically increasing. And that's where kind of machine learning and building able to build models that can scale over large geographic regions or large windows in time, you know, being able to test a model over not just a day or a week, but maybe over a decade. That's now finally becoming possible. And a big chunk of that is really around the cost of compute and having lots of storage and capacity right there. And that's part of what the cloud, I guess, has kind of brought the economics to be able to make sense of those types of observations. And then you also have historically things like rockets were really expensive to get a new sensor into orbit. Now you could easily build a sensor, you could test it on a drone or a plane very quickly. And then with small cube-based satellites, you know, that are just a few feet, launches are becoming cheaper and cheaper. People like SpaceX are landing and reusing rockets over and over. Costs are coming down from that perspective too. So that's just extending that proliferation of sensors and being able to sense the world around us. In terms of what industries, we've done a number of different industries, but you can kind of think of physical footprint type industries, things like agriculture, various types of energy, think of solar wind turbines, things like that, you can observe and see as they're getting built and capacities getting built around the world. And then things like supply chains and transportation and logistics, those would be kind of the main industries we're focused on.
1: How do you address the challenge of dealing with so much data and what does that mean in terms of the underlying requirements for the infrastructure that you're running your application on?
0: Earth observation data is definitely one of the largest and I would say one of the messiest data sets in the world. When we were just a few month old company, one of the first projects we were working on was trying to build agricultural models over the whole United States for how much corn is being produced. So we needed to build those models over a large window in time. You know, one whole year is only one data point of how much corn might be produced in, say, a field. What we had to do was pull together decades of imagery. And so NASA had launched the Landsat Constellation in 1973. And from 1973 to 2015, that was around nearly one petabyte of data. And we're getting to the point where we now today have satellites that produce about a petabyte a year. And very shortly, that'll be nearly a petabyte a week. So that gives you some idea as far as the scale But a big chunk of the promise of machine learning and building analytics and kind of being able to answer questions about what changes are happening and how that might impact somebody's business, there's a massive amount of processing. I think probably almost anyone that's built models knows that sometimes the model is really only the last 10% of the work. And in our case, that's definitely the case. Most of our workload is building and getting all of this really messy Earth observation data, machine learning ready. So we have to convert to standard projections of the Earth and the coordinate system. We have to do things like remove all the actual clouds over the sky, not the clouds from the computing perspective, (laughs) their shadow that it puts down on the Earth and changes the measurements. We have to do things like adjust for the camera angles of the satellite and the sun's angles and then calibrate all those sensors against things like the top of the atmosphere and the degradations that happen there. And then finally, we have to compress all that. So it's incredibly complex and one of our biggest processing jobs to get that all ready and then maybe able to almost make a common denominator of how that imagery is stored so that our ML team Whether it's a satellite from the European Space Agency or a satellite from NASA or one of our private partners, they have a common API and a common interface and everything's corrected and calibrated exactly the same so that they can build and apply their models against all those different sensors. So that's where the majority of our workload is actually around things like that.
1: That's fantastic. And I know that you run this in the Google Cloud platform and have taken some advantage of the underlying hardware that Google is employing, including Xeon scalable processors. Can you tell me about why you selected Google Cloud for this and what kind of optimizations you drove into your code to take advantage of that?
0: As just a couple-month-old company, one of our first things we looked at was, you know, how do we take 43 years of data and make it so we could build those models? So we built our what's now kind of our ingest and processing pipeline that goes through all the steps I mentioned before. And we were able to scale that to around 30,000 CPU cores and process that petabyte of data in about 16 hours. That was a really good test workload to see what were the boundaries as far as from the various cloud vendors. But things with GCP, it's not just being able to get a lot of CPU cores. It's also being able to scale the network and the network bandwidth as you add more and more cores and scale out horizontally. It's how fast can the object storage scale to meet those demands. So you kind of have to scale all of those things at once, and they need to all scale linearly. So that was really one of our first big challenges that we ran on Google. And to some extent, that kind of gave us a lot of confidence that the cloud could scale. It could handle the types of capacity that we were seeing. We were seeing at some point, we'll be processing a petabyte a week. So we wanted to make sure that we were building on top of an architecture that could handle that. Those models take a lot of iterations, and you're kind of optimizing for your ML modeling team's time. And so those first agricultural models, that was over 1,000 model iterations that we had to do to get the yield accuracies that actually provided value to our customers. That was about four quadrillion pixels of imagery, but it's just a massively, massively parallel job.
1: Now, you did choose the Xeon Scalable Processor for this workload. What was the reason for choosing Xeon Scalable for this particular workload, and what does that mean in terms of the ability to scale the performance, as you've described, in terms of the growth of data that you're expecting?
0: One of the big computationally expensive things is both the imagery compression and the imagery expansion side. And so when we are able to start benchmarking on Skylakes and then be able to leverage things like the advanced vector extensions, like the AVX2 and 512, now with Skylakes, and then able to use our code and recompile our code on that. On the imagery compression, we were able to see around a 38% performance improvement. And then Uh on the expansion, we were able to see almost a 24% improvement. And so I can either run on every single machine learning model where I'm expanding that imagery, I either get it 24% faster, or in Google's case, we're actually paying for use by the second. And so if I get that answer 24% faster, that's obviously cost us less. But it's been really a neat um, exercise in kind of the economics of the cloud, I guess. When we first scaled up that first 30,000 core job in early 2015, that was around about $10,000 to run the computation And by September 2016, we were also one of the first people to leverage on Google. They started using preemptible instances, and there had been a couple price drops since then. So that took the exact same job with the exact same code to around $3,600. But, you know, we can recompile the compression expansion code on things like Skylakes, and then you get that same job now under $3,000. And so that's kind of in just a couple of years, you're able to see this progress. And we're going to need that as the data rates and the amount of data we store and we're trying to run models against keeps increasing. We need those cost advantages to be able to keep up with that.
1: One final question for you. I'm sure that folks are very interested in what Descartes Labs is bringing to the table. Where can folks engage with you guys and find out more about the solutions that you offer and talk to your team about potential opportunities to collaborate with Descartes Labs?
0: Yeah, so our website, DescartesLabs.com, we have a lot of blog posts on there. Um, we have a lot of different types of stories that we run, everything from wildfires and detection to agricultural modeling. You can even play with some of our search demonstrations that we have. We have one called GeoVisual Search where we segment out the earth and you can click anywhere on the earth and we'll return back the thousand most similar pixels to the ones you just picked. We have two types of customer engagements. And so we have a great team of people that help our customers and build models for our customers. And then we also do have a software platform that if you do have a team that understands Python and Python APIs and is comfortable in that, they could just use our APIs and then hit all those archives of data. That's
1: fantastic. Well, thank you, Tim, so much for your time. This has been so informative. The solutions you're delivering are really inspiring. Thanks for sharing your story with us. We can't wait to hear more. Thanks. It's our pleasure. Visit ChipChat online
0: at intel.com chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash big data, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization.